Open your ears and crack some beers. You're listening to episode one of Retro Hangover. to episode one of Retro Hangover. I'm Chris. Joined today, as as, as is all days, uh, by Shane Kosky. And today our main topic is going to be digital versus physical. But uh, first, hey, Shane, how you doing this week? And uh, what, what you playing? What you doing? Uh, not doing too bad. Doing too bad. Let's see what we're playing. Uh, honestly, it's been a... It's been a light week for me. For me now. For you. That's the qualifier. For you. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I actually got into some, like, stuff that I wouldn't normally have played thanks to some free Steam keys that got passed out this week. That would have been nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, are you trying to say something? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, So, apart from the usual... I hate free stuff. Yeah, I know, right? So, apart from the usual... um, crappy iOS games that are taking far too much of my attention. Uh, speaking of which, Final Fantasy Record Keeper released some new dungeons. Um, so there's that. Uh, I just saw that. I think you can get snow now as a character in your party. No lightning. Yeah, no. Not yet? I don't think so. Well, it's what, 3, 3, 8, and 13? The new dungeons? Yeah. Uh, I know 8 and 13. I haven't played through enough of them to unlock 3, if that's also included. Okay. They're probably not going to give you the Onion Knight so soon, too. Like, they haven't given you the Warrior of Light from right. Final Fantasy 1. Right. So, yeah, so there's that. Uh, as far as the Steam thing, like I was saying, uh, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun actually was doing... there, And they're still doing it, too. So if you're listening to this, it might be worth going to check out. That's also you. Don't do it now. Mm-hmm. I see you eye in that computer. Don't do it now. Uh, they have like 250,000 free Steam keys that they're giving away for this uh, horror FPS called uh, Nosferatu, The Wrath of Malachi. Uh, it was released, I believe... Sounds ominous. And it, it, it is. Um, I think it was released sometime around 2003? Something like that? So... It's got some age, and it shows. However, uh, if you go, and it's posted on the Steam forum for this too, but uh, I don't, are you familiar with the widescreen fix community? There's like a website dedicated just to like patching in widescreen support no, to older games. No, I haven't even heard of this. Yeah, so if you go on the Steam forum, someone linked to it, and there's an entry for this game. You go, and just basically you replace the EXE in your Steam uh, directory, with the one that they provide you for whichever resolution you want to run it at. And it makes the game look a lot better, and it runs natively at whatever your monitor's resolution is, assuming you don't have some crazy res that no one uses. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was it's pretty cool. I finished it in about five hours, give or take, four or five hours. Uh, and from what I can tell, 
I, I want to say it might actually randomize the castle every time you go through it because when it was starting up the game it was saying stuff to that effect on on like the loading screen. I don't quote me on that. Kind I don't like know building, for sure. Like building maps, generating dungeon or stuff like that. Kind of like yeah. Diablo did back in the day. Yeah, something to that effect. I Again, don't quote me on that. That could be completely false because I've only played through it once. I don't know. But... Um, like I said, four or five hours. I mean, it's I it probably would have been something I'd even have paid a couple bucks for. I thought it was worthwhile. Um, the basic premise is it's like in the eighteen, like the nineteenth century thereabouts, and you and your friends and extended family are all like visiting this very ominous castle on a cliffside, and they all get basically kidnapped, and they are located in different places throughout the castle, and apart from fighting your way through various demons and and such. Um, The goal is to find and rescue all of your family and friends before it's too late. It's actually on real time. Like, there's a clock that ticks in the corner in actual real time. Okay. And you Um, only have a certain amount of time to do all this in. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time you have. Uh, As I said, obviously, it took me four or five hours. But even then, I kept getting notifications like... So in-game, you start, I want to say, an hour or two prior to midnight. Mm -hmm. When midnight hits, this message comes up and tells you it's midnight. And and basically, all all of your enemies get significantly tougher once midnight hits. Mm. Um, So in addition to that... So it's got some uh, uh, Castlevania 2 in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is, in fact, a horrible night to have a curse. Terrible. Horrible yeah. night. Um, I don't know what it is. So, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And in addition to that, like once you go back through... When you backtrack through rooms, which you will do a lot, um, there's a chance that like new things will spawn like when you walk in the room. So it kind of keeps you on your toes. It's not like you clear out a section of the castle and it's done. Um, so overall, pretty good game. I enjoyed it. In five hours, that's that's kind of a good sweet spot, too. Uh, for that kind of game, yeah. yeah. Um, the only qualm that I had with it was because so much of it was built around... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, escort, basically. Oh. Well, because when you find your family member, they follow you back to a safe point at the, at the okay. entrance Are to the they castle. vulnerable and everything, and they can be attacked? And So, technically, yes. Oh. I never actually saw it happen, though. Um, most of the monsters will focus on you, and if you have a family member following you, they'll just kind of hang back and be like, do the thing, James! So, um, I, it wasn't really that much of an issue. The only issue I had was a couple of weird quirks with some of the pathfinding. Uh, there was one point where this guy got stuck in a weird, like, jump-slash-fall animation, Mm. and every time he did it, he would stop following. Like, the AI thought he lost me. So, like... Luckily, all I had to do was restart the game and it fixed it. So, I, I mean, like, going back in, not starting over. So not, like, game-breaking. No, not That's really. Good. No. That's good. Maybe um, it saved after that, maybe. But you never know. Yeah. So, no, it's pretty cool. Okay. I recommend it. If you're listening to this and uh, they've Rock, Paper, Shotgun still has some keys available, I'd head over there and grab one. It's worth your time. But other than that, uh, honestly, that's pretty much it. What about you, Chris? Well, uh... Got a little bit more time to, to play around this week with some games. I got uh, fi- I got Renoa and Final Fantasy Record Keeper. Of course. That was pretty easy. Yeah. Actually, it kind of sucked. My party still sucks. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I got Renoa. That was good. Uh, finished Final Fantasy Lament of Innocence. Not Final Fantasy, damn it. Castlevania 
Lament of Innocence. Cool. Finish that. It's a good game. You know, it's also from 2003. Also horror-oriented, but it's mm-hmm. not scary. But uh, it was good to see a, a, a 3D Castlevania game that old and see how far they kind of came from it. Mm. And I don't want, you know, coming from the original producer of the series, which, foreshadowing, we're going to be talking about that, but seeing a, a 3D <laughs> Castlevania made by uh, Igarashi back then in the day, and just, it kind of reminded me of just how crazy video game the video game scene was back then, where six years prior you had a masterpiece with Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, you had Castlevania 64, which is arguably not a masterpiece. Well, not arguably, it is not a masterpiece. It's not a very good game. But that was right afterwards, and you have to think, you know, this was Castlevania 3D, where you could equip stuff like Symphony of the Night. It felt like Symphony of the Night, but it played like a 3D version of the original Castlevanias. And it was very interesting to kind of see that it reminded me of a time back when you know things were coming out and things were different you can think about how much igarashi was releasing at the time and how different things were i mean the gba castlevanias were in full swing during this time too so you had <laughs> that's true yeah. all all these different projects that were going on just a fantastic time in video games even though it hasn't aged very well and the ending kind of was disappointing i thought uh very much a letdown uh, you don't get to fight Dracula. You get to find out who Dracula is, sort of, but you don't mm. get to fight Dracula. But it, it was a good game. It was good for what it was. And I dabbled in some Rad Racer and some Blazing Lasers this week. Very nice. Very nice. So that's about it? That's about it, I would say, video game related. So I'm and always busy. I say we've been weak this week. Week. I, I think I will usually be weak. I don't know which game. <laughs> I haven't started a new game yet, uh, so... You know, I need to look for recommendations, but I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Well, so eventually I'm going to get back around to getting back into Pillars of Eternity. I've only got about 10 hours into it, which for that kind of game is basically nothing. For those of you who aren't aware of what that is, it's if you're familiar with any of the old D&D style uh, RPGs from back in the day, like Baldur's Gate, um, anything like that, then it's basically that. Like it, they To the point where they have made it look like the engine those games were built in. Like, almost to a T. I've seen it. It looks, it, it looks like the enhanced edition of Baldur's Gate. It basically. It looks the exact same way. Basically, yeah. Um, so, it's a good game. I just haven't... I haven't put a lot of time into it. Honestly, one of the things is it's it's kind of daunting because I know that that game is going to take, take hours and 60 hours to 80 and hours. hours. And that's just to get through the main quest. Right. So it's like one of those things where I feel like I need to set aside a chunk of time to really get anything out of it, and I just haven't done that. Mm-hmm. So. All right, well, I guess that's about it for what we've been doing, which yes. means that's going to bring us to uh, the, I don't know, should we talk about news? Let's go to the news. I'm thirsty, so I want to talk about what's on tap. Alright, so the uh, first thing we've got on tap for this week. Lots of Nintendo news, again. Surprise, surprise. Um, They always make news. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, what, what do we got up first? Well, I was looking throughout the interwebs and saw this interesting tidbit of news, which actually infuriated me. It made me really kind of tick. So, Club Nintendo 
as we all know, is going away and has all these nice rewards for its going away stuff. Physical rewards, digital rewards, all, you know, pretty good stuff if you've been collecting points throughout the years. And on all its physical items, they took a huge slice off of what you needed to pay for it. And uh, someone who could have gotten a lot more <laughs> than what, uh, if they had those prices when I bought it, I'm like pissed because i the thing i ordered still hasn't gotten to me hasn't been shipped yet and what what was it the jordan i got the 3d xl 3ds xl uh legend of zelda pouch ah yeah okay so i got that and if i click on this story here it's like 300 points now because i had 900 points and so yeah so see the thing is with this it uh, I understand the frustration with it, but then again, for me personally, it wasn't a huge deal because I honestly didn't have that many points to begin with. So, okay. all right, so we're we're looking at the price changes now. It, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, looks like some things are slashed by half. Um, depends. Almost on everything is slashed by half, except for the messenger bag that everyone was after when these things first came out. The uh, Majora's Mask messenger bag, which I believe has been officially sold out now at this point. I believe way. so. And, and actually, that and also the Fierce Deity uh, Jigsaw Puzzle, that is sold out as well at this point. Well, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I could have gotten the, 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 the XL pouch and maybe the t-shirt, and I still would have had enough points to spend on uh, a, a game. And it's just, I, Nintendo, can you stop doing this with your Club Nintendo shit? I'm really getting tired of this. Well, see, the thing that I'm confused about about this whole thing is why they waited. Because it, right. this should have coincided with the announcement that they were discontinuing Club Nintendo. Personally. It, what it, it, I get what you're saying. What it makes sense to me is, why are you going to lower the prices when the people who haven't used it are the people who probably aren't paying attention or have backed you to begin with? When everyone, when you release these products, when you first announced the discontinuation and you first announced the products that were coming out... Why didn't you just have the prices that low to begin with so everyone who knew about it could go and get the prices when they were good and then after time say this is a limited time thing, they're going to go up. But they did the opposite. So now of all the Nintendo loyalists or people who are fans and have supported them over the years and have mm. accrued these points, they had to pay more for this stuff. That's If you're talking about money, I get it. I mean, if you're talking about personal money that people are spending, I get it. Because things are going to go down in price over time. But you're talking about items that are being paid for with fake money. Mm. It almost makes me wonder if they did that partially to dissuade a lot of the hardcore like Nintendo fanboys from just scooping up a bunch of crap and then leaving everyone else out. I, I could see that too, but I don't see it that way just because at this point you can't even enter codes anymore. Mm. So if they're going after the casual base that you know didn't really care about it, they'd want to do that during the time where you could still enter in codes so these people would enter their codes and look for their stuff and, and get involved and get more invested in Nintendo products. Right. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. They may have a purpose, but you know what doesn't make sense? I wanted my Mario t-shirt. <laughs> I had to make a choice. This is really what it comes down to. Is we, we just wanted more shit. I want more shit. That's that's it. We are in fact entitled gamers. Uh, Just don't give me any DLC with that shit. <laughs> so uh, 
Speaking of Nintendo, um, there's quite a number of things that are related to Nintendo and E3 this year. Um, and by that I mean it seems that there's just a lot of no. Like, there's no Zelda. Uh, they haven't really announced what they got yet. But there's also been... No, they announced that there's not going to be any NX, which isn't a big surprise, I don't think, to anybody. Because this isn't the first time they said that. So, here's the thing. Them, and I... I totally get this. Um, I'm not surprised there won't be any details because I think they, I think they announced the NX prematurely for a reason, mm-hmm. uh, which was damage control. Because as soon as they mentioned that they were getting into mobile, the mobile space, uh, I feel that they also because they did they coupled that announcement with the announcement of the NX, which was basically them saying, "Listen, guys." We're stepping into the mobile space for the first time, um, which, as you know, I'm totally on board with, assuming they do it correctly. And so far, I don't see any reason why they won't. Um, Listen, we're stepping into the mobile space, uh, but we have this thing in the works. It's a console. It's called the NX. We want you guys to know so that you don't think that we're just abandoning our, uh, you know, dedicated hardware to just jump ship onto mobile like some other people are that we'll talk about shortly. Um, <clears throat> right. So I think that's a big part of it. So again, like I said, I'm not surprised there's not going to be any details about this. Uh, so in, in in addition to that, uh, they're well, not going to be talking yeah. about, what, any quality of life improvements? That, that quality of life platform they kind of alluded to, I yeah. guess, a year or two ago. That their next platform be a quality of life thing, or they're focusing on quality of life products. So was this was 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 this related to the the the, the finger cuff, the pulse sensor the thing? Sensor that, pulse. Yeah, is that how you do that? I I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna you know what I'm thinking I'm gonna get something that can strap onto my back and I can run with my Wii. Excellent. Not my Wii U, my Wii, and because the Wii U it's about as powerful as my smartphone is now. So maybe he'll have a motion tracker. And we have nothing but sick burns here, Nintendo. Yes. And I'll I'll attach the, uh, the the pulse monitor to my finger while I'm out running. But um, as far yeah. as I can tell, I I think that thing kind of just like quietly went away. Well, when I when I hear uh, Nintendo talking about quality of life, their quality of life platforms, you know, you have to realize Konami makes stuff like bottled water in Japan. Really? And they have fitness centers and stuff like this I in actually, Japan. I, I did not I, that's know that. From what I've heard. And if the Nintendo's going that route, that's, that's going to be interesting. But uh, one thing I'm very surprised about is that they have, they're they not bringing out anything for their smartphones, for the smartphone, any games for their smartphone devices at this E3. Considering that they're going to be launching these games at the end of the year, mm-hmm. you think they at least get something out there and saying, hey... This is this is one of the games uh, we're looking at doing, and this is what it looks like now. It's still in early concepts, but this is what it looks like to at least get people looking forward to what they're doing on the mobile market. I think next year. I say next year. Mm-hmm. Last we heard, they're going only, only going to have one mm-hmm. mobile game that's going to be coming out by the end of this calendar year. I think, as I said, I think this is a calculated move on their behalf because they're basically focusing on nothing but Wii U and 3DS. Mm-hmm. E3. So, I think by them announcing earlier you know, their whole mobile initiative they got it out there we know it's happening. They've got this partnership with DNA that's also doing Record Keeper. Um, 
they got it out and that's fine. But I think they know that they don't want to put a ton of focus on that right now. Mm-hmm. They want to try to show that they're still supporting the things that people bought. <laughs> like the Wii U. Or a new 3DS. Or a new 3DS. Yeah. Well, looking at that, the most interesting thing to come out of this bit of news, at least from what I see, is that when talking about the NX, when they said there would be no NX at E3, which... They didn't need, again, I don't think they needed to say, because they've said it before, that they're not going to be talking about the NX in 2015, Mm -hmm. and if they just wanted to say, as we said before, but they didn't say, as we have said before, they're calling it a new, this is from Iwata, uh, saying, he's calling it a new concept, and this is where it gets uh, particularly interesting, where he says, we are not thinking of this as a simple replacement for the 3DS or the Wii U. Why would you include both of those when you're talking about a replacement? If you're talking about the next platform, and it's a console platform, you think you only say we're not thinking of this as a simple replacement for the Wii U, much like they did with the DS with the GBA. Mm-hmm. Why would you include the 3DS and the Wii U when discussing what a simple replacement is? That's I, what's interesting. And you're right, and my hope with that, honestly, and I've heard talk about this before, is that their next step, which evidently is this NX, is going to just unify both of those things. It, in some fashion, it's going to be it's going to be both. Like it'll be a handheld that you can take with you places, but it will be the handheld portion will be like a smaller piece that will also fit with your traditional. Um, Console that would sit in your entertainment center. So they're kind of, and I've heard this too, the way I view it is is what Sony was trying to do with the Vita and the PS4, except this would come in one package and one can't be, one really can't exist without the other. Right, right. It's not going to be like the Vita where it's basically optional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it's going to be just one thing. And like if you take your the mobile portion of this unit with you somewhere, presumably the shell or whatever that's sitting on your entertainment center won't function. Um, I mean, that's my guess. That's what it sounds like. I I would be all right with that personally. Like, I think that's a cool idea because I like my 3DS and, and honestly, I like my Wii U. I would probably like it even more if I didn't have to have two different systems. Like, if it functioned right. as one... Then, then we wouldn't even have to worry about, uh, you know, cross-buy and all this stuff that we've been talking about. Well, everything would be cross-buy. Well, you wouldn't... Because it'd be for the same system. Well, that's the thing. Technically. You wouldn't even have to call it that. Because right. it's not at that point. It's just you're buying it. <laughs> Which, you know, that... So, I, I kind of hope that that's where it goes. Um, I think that... It would be a smart move, I think, if they just streamlined everything. And the technology... If that's the the way they're going. Sure. But I think the technology, particularly with mobile devices and handheld games and stuff like that, are to a point now where it is close enough, particularly with Nintendo, because they're not always concerned with having bleeding-edge hardware. I think they could pull it off. I kind of want the next console... I want the NX to be a traditional console. I want the NX to still have physical content capabilities. I still I want but I want it to have regular controllers, damn it. I want it to come with regular controllers out of the box. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, no. I don't no. want motion controls. No, no. I don't want a touchpad. As cool as those things can be, I, I just I want a bleeding edge, top of the line, 
system that can stream in 4K. Well, not stream, but it can output in 4K to my TV. That's a 4K TV. This is just Chris trying to justify his 4K TV purchase. Very hard. <laughs> but oh, 4K is gorgeous. But I, I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> I want I want it to be do something the other systems can't do. Nintendo needs to give me a reason to buy their system, and I want it to be better than the other two. It's fucking Mario, man. Mario with those Link. IPs. With those IPs, what, what? You can't get that shit anywhere else. You can't. So there you yeah, go. Needs to come with a regular controller. <laughs> knock the gimmicky shit off. If I need to have like a fucking Nintendo tablet in order to run my Nintendo console, I'm going to be pissed. I mean, but then they wouldn't be able to sell you additional. Pro controllers for like 50 or 60 bucks. And the sad thing is I'll still probably buy it. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. No, not probably, I will buy it. Alright, so uh, last bit of Nintendo news for this week that we're going to cover. Um, quick little piece. Uh, if you missed, which I would wager a guess to say a lot of people did because it was a very small window of opportunity, but if you were one of the unfortunate folks to miss out on the Splatoon... Like uh, me. Actually, like me too. I downloaded the damn thing and didn't even play it. Um, if you missed out on the Splatoon demo event uh, that Nintendo ran recently, you have one more chance. You only get one hour. And, I mean, this is similar to what they did before. You got, like, very small windows of opportunity to play. But uh, according to this, you are getting one whole hour of playtime uh, on May 23rd and 24th. So, if you're interested, um, that's going to be, looks like, midnight central time. Which is actually only a week before release on May 29th. That's right. So, um, if you want to have a chance to try out Splatoon uh, before it is officially released, then you can boot up that Wii U of yours that's probably flashing at you longingly from your living room uh, console. And uh, download the demo and check it out. Uh, unless, of course, you're lucky enough to have a Nintendo rep that lives in your area like we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a Splatoon demo event going on uh, this weekend. And if you don't have to go to work, like some of you don't. Yes, yeah, no, you, I don't, because don't. I'm a normal person that works Monday through Friday. <laughs> Normally I do as well, however, <laughs> not this time. So, as I alluded to earlier... With the Castlevania game I was playing and being able to play in Iga, Castlevania, mm. it appears that the man behind Dracula versus the Belmonts is coming out with his own game on Kickstarter. It's not Castlevania. It's called Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. And surprise, it's made tons of money. A lot. A lot of money. As of this time, as we're looking at this as of recording, uh, it's made $2 million $37,066 with 26,019 backers. Still 28 days to go. Yeah, to put that into perspective, their original goal was 500000 So they've got quite a number. Actually, if you look at the Kickstarter page for this thing, they have gone all out on uh, backer interaction. So in addition to the typical you know, backer goals <laughs> that... Uh, that they get, you know, stretch goals, that kind of thing. They've added backer achievements, which are based on several different things. They have uh, weekly Vine challenges, so if fans 
put, you know, submit vines that have to do with Bloodstain. Um, a certain number of them, it'll unlock things. Uh, as of right now, they have, let's see, what do we have active? Uh, Twitter followers, um, we're at the 10,000 mark. Uh, retweets, Facebook likes, uh, the percentage of Kickstarter backers. Uh, they have several different things here. It's really cool. Um, and so these are going to be unlocking like additional you know features and cool little stuff as time goes on. So uh, if we scroll up to the top of this stretch goal thing, um, past their 500,000 point, uh, so far we've unlocked a hardcover art book, a second playable character, a nightmare difficulty mode, Voice acting by David Hayter, which yes. was, like, probably the biggest get they got out of this whole Gear. thing. Um, well, I mean, fuck it, right? I mean, we're not making Metal Gear anymore, so we might as well give Hayter something to do. But when he's not writing for X-Men. Right. Uh, so, at a million, they're including cheat codes, which is pretty cool. Um, local co-op is the next step. When is that a feature? When did that become a feature over, like, online co-op? Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> honestly, that'll be a little weird for the PC version of this, honestly, yeah. but I can totally see it for consoles. That works. Yeah. Um, 1.5 million, they're adding an additional boss. At 1.75, a speedrun mode. And so far, this is what we've hit. 2 million, they're including a boss rush mode. Um, which I know a lot of you might be thinking, well, shit, this is stuff that was included in Castlevania games before. But... It, it, the realistic view of this is honestly five hundred thousand to make a game, uh, especially of this caliber, with these people included, is not a lot. You have to think this is an indie game. Um, sure, they're they're putting very, they're probably the the minimum amount of money they were going at based off the video that he pitched. It sounds like they had uh, collaborators that were willing to help them out. They had some publishers that were willing to support them. Yeah. But they're only going to support them if they raise so much money on Kickstarter. Sure. And this got the attention just like Mighty Number no. 9 did and just like uh, Ukulele did. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are games that people recognize. There's still an audience for them. That, and, that, would, that would be me. And myself. Yeah. In fact, I think if I can save up, I'm going to definitely back this in four weeks because it still has four weeks to go. So I'll probably back it on the last day mm-hmm. and uh, get it then to get the physical copy, which is like 60 bucks, which is, hey, that's the price of a new game, and you got to think you're backing a game. So you're going to pay a little more to get that that copy. I think at that level, that's just the PC physical copy, right? I think it's I think it's everything. Or is it, oh, it's of your choice, right? Right, and everything being PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Right, so it's the new consoles and then PC. So I think at that level, if you back it, you get a physical copy of your choice from one of those three platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there you go. 60 bucks or more. So, yeah, okay, so you get, uh, oh wait, no, that's the digital copy of your choice. So no, your... I'm not spending a hundred dollars to get a copy. <laughs> Is that really the first? It's a hundred dollars. Okay, a so if copy. you if you drop a hundred bucks on this Kickstarter, you oh, get a never mind. Nope, copy. right there, special backer edition physical copy for sixty bucks. Oh, there's two sixty dollar tiers. Yes. Okay. Okay. So there you go. So sixty bucks will get you an actual physical copy of the game for the platform of your choosing. I. I will. Ba- I want to back this. Um, I haven't yet, but I'm going to. I don't. 
I don't know if I really want to go with the physical copy. I might not. Um, oh, I'm doing the physical copy all the way. All I just, the way. Uh, I just don't know. Like, I don't even buy new games anymore. Like, I don't spend $60 on something, usually. So, But it seems like there's special content if you back these right off the bat. There, there is, there is, yeah. So you get exclusive backer-only mm-hmm. content and um, apparently a special Kickstarter exclusive slipcase for your physical copy. So, I mean, it'll look sexy, so there's that. And you got to think, mm-hmm. you know, if if you want the physical, if you want to get the digital copy, you can always get the digital copy later. Mm-hmm. A physical copy is always going to be limited. There's always going to be a finite amount of physical copies released, which is why I'm going to go with the physical copy. A digital copy is going to be there forever, but... We're going down a line. We're going to talk to you, talk about plenty later on when it comes to digital versus physical. But looking at this, this is this really this is really uh, this is awesome. Uh, I've been wanting a new Castlevania game for a while. Lords of Shadow just didn't really, you know, scratch the itch for a new Castlevania. Uh, it was a good game for what it was. I liked the first one. I, I didn't touch the second one because I saw nothing but awful things about it. But uh, like I had said before, I think I got through maybe three quarters of Lords of Shadow. And honestly, mm-hmm. it just kind of lost my interest. It, it was a reboot of the franchise again. And yeah. it, it just... I think Hideo Kojima was actually involved in that one, if I remember correctly. Or used the, the Fox engine? The first one, yes. Like, his name was on that. It was definitely not anywhere to be found on the sequel, but he was involved with the first one. In, in any case, the, it didn't feel like Castlevania. It, it was... Mm. It took a lot of Castlevania themes, and it tried to be Castlevania, and it, it did pay homage to the series, but to me, it just didn't feel like it. Because I think Castlevania needs to be 2D. I absolutely agree. I, I don't... Th- there have been some decent 3D ones for sure, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that style of gameplay, and I've said this before, I, I just think it lends itself better to a 2D environment. It just... The, the exploration and, and the way that a quote-end-quote Metroidvania game functions, like, I just think it really shines in a 2D environment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not everything has to be top-notch mm-hmm. 3D realistic graphics for it to be a good game. And it's a 2D game coming out for the PS4 and Xbox One. It's a 2D game. Which means it's still going to look sexy as hell. Fantastic, but how often have you seen this many people get excited... For a 2D game nowadays, not an FPS, not like not like a straight indie title. Because yes, it's indie, sure, it's indie, but it's still a major, big time name. And he's getting the guy who he's getting the the woman who made the music for uh, Symphony of the Night. She's on board. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot of talent here, and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna end up backing this. I'm gonna end up getting the physical copy. Uh, it's, it's, I think, to me, it's worth it. It's worth it. So if you do decide to back this, keep in mind that the estimated delivery date of this thing is March of 2017. So you're going to have a little time to wait. So if you don't back it, not the biggest deal in the world because the thing is definitely funded. So that it's be, it's going to be made most likely one way or the other. Uh, so if you don't feel comfortable throwing that much money into something for something you will probably get in, like, two years, uh, then just wait for the release. So how do you think Konami feels about that? Dude, fuck Konami. I don't care. <laughs> like, this this, this is the perfect response to their bullshit, because 
they're not. Do, they are doing fuck all with their IPs, other than slapping them on some pachinko machines at this point. And I'm glad that the people that were originally involved with these things are actually taking it upon themselves to do something. I would rather have them like. I would rather have them do this kind of thing on Kickstarter or wherever. Do it independently with the vision that they had originally for these things uh, and ostensibly make a better game that way, you know? Um, this, I'm hoping, and I know we're trumping this thing up a lot, but... We're excited. I'm, I'm we excited. Are. We are. Jane's excited. But but I'm, I'm hoping that if it turns out well, that this is going to go back to more of the roots of why most people like the Castlevania series so much. I, I know I'm one of them, so so we'll see. Um, but I mean, you also look at Mighty Number no. Nine. Not there's some rumblings going on that people aren't liking the way that looks. Mm-hmm. Now it's coming to its its final stages. The fact that these things are getting picked up, you got to think too. There's there's only what like there's only twenty six thousand backers, which is a lot for a Kickstarter. It's a lot of money, two million dollars. How many people need to buy a video game nowadays in order for it to be successful? That is, well, okay, that depends on two things. One, your definition of successful. And, uh, I mean, honestly, two, how much money you dumped into it. I mean, and that's that in a way is sort of correlated to, to point number one. Right. Because if you're one of these big AAA developers, for the most part, they do not consider something a success unless it has sold tens of millions of copies and has made them uh, an ungodly amount of money. I mean, like, I remember uh, Tomb Raider, the reboot of Tomb Raider, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, I really enjoyed. That was a good game. I I do want to play it. They actually considered that kind of a failure, even though it sold millions of copies. Like five million copies or six million copies. Something like that. They still considered that more or less a failure because it didn't meet some sort of quota that they were expecting. So it really depends on your perspective. But if you're a Konami and Capcom right now, and, and, and someone comes to you and says, I want to make a new Castlevania game, it's, it's a big name for your company, or you're at Capcom, like, I want to make a new Mega Man game. These are, these are franchises that mean a lot to the company, and a failure in that franchise, Does franchise may mean a failure on the company. Well, they're, they're representative of it. It's kind of like how Street Fighter is at Capcom right now, and Resident Evil. Like, you look at how... If Resident Evil does poorly, it looks like Capcom is doing poorly. If they release a Mega Man game, which, for the record, the best Mega Man, best-selling Mega Man game ever is still Mega Man 2. It, like, 2 or 3 million copies sold. Hmm. So, when you look at Castlevania, has, has a castle... I don't know the sales numbers for Castlevania, but if I came up to Konami or any... If you were in charge of Konami, or just any video game business, and I said, hey, I have a great idea. Let's release a 2D game for one of our biggest franchises for this next system. And the only company I could even think of saying yes would be Ubisoft because he had Rayman Legends. But they, most of them would be like, is this going to sell? So, interestingly enough, uh, Ubisoft is actually... They've been pretty surprisingly open to that stuff. I mean, like, they're... So, they're doing it under slightly different monikers it's but but nevertheless i mean like child of light for example right that's ubisoft even though i don't know if it actually says it 
But either way, it's it's one of their indie like divisions. But uh, I want to say out of a lot of the major publishers, they're probably one of the ones that have been most receptive to that. To for the most part, it seems like pretty positive effect because they've been doing pretty well with it. I know Child of Light did pretty well. I enjoyed it. I played through it from start to finish. Just about shit as they get. They release some quality product. See, okay, for the most part, a lot of the shit that Ubisoft gets is because they have actually taken risks? open world. No, 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 not even. Well, that. they haven't really been taking many risks, but no, they have taken the open world game model. And actually made it stale by, like, just recycling the same concepts over and over. It's like, okay, we're going to make a game. It's going to be open world, so you can go wherever you want. You need to discover parts of the map by climbing something really tall. And then when you do that, suddenly you're going to see a bunch of shit on your mini-map that do you're going to kill do. Do we get to kill a guy? So many guys. Oh, yes. So many guys. How often do I get to do this? As much as you want. For a cup, for how many years do I get to do this? Uh, forever. Or, or ostensibly. Un, or until it stops making the money. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and that's a shitty. Th- and we're gonna get into this in a little bit, actually. But that's one of the shitty things about like Assassin's Creed is I really want to like that series because because I do I do I really enjoyed the first two games. Not so much Assassin's Creed 3, even though I've got the collector's edition well, what about statue over there. 2 Part 2 and 2 Part 3. Uh, like Brotherhood and Revelations? And yeah, and whatever order they're in. Those were actually all good, too. Okay. And I think a big part of that was because they involved Ezio. As far as I'm concerned, the Ezio storyline is the best thing about Assassin's Creed. But <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but... Ubisoft did say that they did bring up a little bit of news, too, this week with uh, announcing they're not going to be re- making any more 360 or PS3 games. Yeah, there is that, which I guess means that I'm going to be eventually forced to actually have to buy a new console. <laughs> I knew that day would come. I was just hoping it'd be a little bit later. Well, how old are these things? The Xbox 360 released in late 2005? Yeah, they're about a decade old. Yeah. But I, I was late to that train in the first place. Well, a lot, I think a lot of people were, because they were all playing with their Wiis. They were all playing with their motion controls. Yeah. Which, yeah. okay, I was too, but I got, my my first console of the generation was the 360 back in 06 or 07 or something like that. But, I mean, there, it's been 10 years. I mean, imagine being in 1995 and being upset that they're not coming out with more NES games. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm just saying that, like, now I'm actually going to eventually be forced to have to drop the money on a new but console. But even even that thought then, in 1995, you're like, man, I'm finally going to have to buy a new console because they're not going to be releasing Twisted Metal on the Nintendo. I see what you're saying. It's be- it's like the difference where you should be excited about it, where you're like, right? Where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, holy shit. Like, the Super Nintendo's coming out. I need to get that. Like, fuck this old thing. It's going in the closet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It's not like that anymore, at least for me and a lot of people that I know. Because uh, if you... Okay, go ask anybody, almost anybody, that bought a new console, such as yourself. I didn't buy and, it. Well, you have it. I didn't want it. <laughs> But you still have it. I still have it. Although this is proving my point, <laughs> which is if you go and ask anybody that has a PS4 or an Xbox One, you go, listen, why did you buy that? A lot of the time, you're going to get 
I don't know, really. Like, it was there, and it's the new thing, so that's what I should buy, right? It wasn't like, holy fuck, I bought this thing because all this crazy shit is coming out for it, and it's going to be amazing, and it's this huge step up from this thing that I have now. It's not. Or, like, every console I got, I think up until this generation, every console I bought was... I wanted to invite someone over and be like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, look at this. Yeah. Like, look at this, look at this, this is so fucking cool. Yeah, and now it's like, oh, I, God, why did I spend $400 on this thing? Why can't I get the share button to work? <laughs> why won't it upload my shit to YouTube? Why am I getting a copyright strike? I'm not making any money. <laughs> uh, we have gone full meta. All right, so uh, I think this is what the last bit of Kickstarter news that we got for this week. Yeah, a little bit of Kickstarter. All right, so uh, some of you may be familiar with a game called Divinity: Original Sin. Uh, it was a uh, more traditional party-based RPG that was released, uh, you know, within the last, I believe, year or two, and um, <clears throat> it was as is other things uh, started life on Kickstarter was successfully backed and turned out to be a really good game that I still need to play and haven't gotten around to yet. But, uh, according to their latest Kickstarter update, they are officially announcing an enhanced edition of Divinity. They're including a number of things. They're calling it basically a whole new experience. So they're adding controller support, uh, local co-op with a split screen. They're fully voicing all of the characters. And evidently, they are retooling the story with a brand new ending, never seen before. And unless um, you played Mass Effect Three. Oh God, let's let's not <laughs> even get into that. So yeah, new gameplay modes. Uh, the story, according to them, is quote unquote heavily rewritten um, with the brand new ending that I mentioned. Uh, they are completely reworking the visuals and the sound effects, and they've evidently have more to announce uh, in the in the coming months. So an interesting thing for this is... Is this I, being run by George Lucas? <laughs> no, no, there's not going to be, like, digital banthas in the... Like, taking up half the screen. I wanted to buy that. I've actually wanted to buy this game for a while, but part of me is now... Well, I guess kind of glad that I didn't, because I would have played through the game, probably, and even with this enhanced edition being free for people who have already bought uh, Original Sin in the first place... I personally would probably be pretty hard-pressed to go back and play through this type of game again. Yeah. Um, again, this is this is similar to Pillars of Eternity, where you're going to sink tens of hours into this thing, and I just don't have the time to go back and replay something like that. I'll be lucky if I get through it once. So I'm actually kind of glad I didn't buy it. I'm going to wait for this Enhanced Edition to come out uh, on Steam, and then I'll probably pick it up then. Uh, I I don't... Me, personally, I don't like stuff like this, because it was... I mean, I've heard of the game. I haven't played it. Mm -hmm. But I have heard of Divinity Original Sin, and I think it has at least a... uh, a a noticeable fan base. It has a fan base that's there, Mm -hmm. and they, they, they do know it. I hate it when it says Enhanced Edition, so you already have a game... You already have a story. You already have characters. You already have it. I mean, a completely rewritten story, complete a heavily rewritten story and a brand new ending. Why? Is it because is it? Oh, but it. Well, okay. Let me stop myself. Is it a brand new ending because based off choices you make throughout the game, or is it a brand new ending because people were upset or the artists were upset with how the game ended? Is it because they're planning a sequel? 
Uh, I just, I look at this. Okay, new quests, new characters, new content. That could be DLC. And if you're doing that for your fans, that's great. You can either be DLC or it can be free. That's up to you. Uh, all characters now fully voiced by AAA voice actors. Good for them. Entirely new gameplay modes and character builds. That's fine. But I see a heavily rewritten story. Okay, people played this game and enjoyed this game. This was a fun game. This is something that people remember. Even take a simple game like uh, Super Mario Brothers, right? Where you're, you just go from point A to point B trying to rescue a princess. Mm. But they're like, you know what? This is kind of boring. So instead of being King Koopa, King Koopa's actually Luigi. And the princess is actually Daisy. And, 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 and it's not the princess. And Princess Peach is actually controlling everybody. And every single time you go to a I castle, you make a choice. And there's 2A and 2B. And we're going to make this plot develop in this different way. Now, with a simple story like Mario, people will be like, we don't need this shit. Mm. Okay, now when you get to something more in-depth in terms of plot, let's say uh, Mass Effect, where people actually wanted to see a different ending, which maybe upon looking back, I, I don't agree with at all, but they wanted to see a different ending, so they gave them a different... They, they, they didn't give them necessarily a different ending, they just gave them a more robust right. ending that explained more. But, like, a lot of the choices, if they rewrote the story for a lot of Mass Effect, it wouldn't be Mass Effect. It wouldn't be the same Mass Effect you remember. So I look at something like this, Enhanced Edition, Enhanced by whose terms? You could have made it, like, Divinity Original Sin, you know, side story. Or Divinity Original Sin, you know, 1.5. Or something like that. Uh, you know, it's really up to the people who make the game. And it's nice that they're making more content for this game. And maybe it's just, it, it keeps the same spirit of the original game. Now, then again, I didn't play it. I don't care much for this game, honestly. It looks okay. But I'm kind of hoping that, you know, when I see stuff like this, I, I, it's, it's a small portion. I, I don't like that when people really like games like this and they just completely kind of retool it. I mean, if for nothing else... I mean, at least they're offering it free if you already bought the game. So you, it's not like they're going to be a dick about it and be like, oh, you already bought this? Well, if you want the cool version, you can pay us another, like, you know, 30, 40 bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, th I mean, there's that. I, I see where you're getting at with that. And it's the same argument to a certain degree that you would make, like you brought up, mm -hmm. <clears throat> with George Lucas. George Lucas. George Lucas. I, I know how to make mouth words. <laughs> um, whether it's right that he, he can go back and make changes to something that people already know and love. It's the same sort of argument. Uh, in that particular instance, as with most people, I would wager, I am 100% against it. Um, regardless of whether or not the changes he made were quote-unquote his original vision you released something and that is what everyone knows it to be so that what's is, the difference what do you mean I mean what's the difference here why, why you know they're saying they're not being a dick about them making it free if George Lucas made it free would that make it okay it would make it better if he was like okay somehow I don't fucking know how but if somehow I could just it, listen show me your receipt for when you bought the trilogy yeah and I will totally send you a free copy of this shit that I did I actually would have much less of a problem with that. Really. I would. But the fact that he went back and was like, I'm going to fuck with this, and then I'm going to resell it to you like 80 times, that 
just like adds to the pile of bullshit that that already is. Like I, I'm not saying that I 100% agree with them going back and retooling something that everyone, or not everyone, but the people that played it have already experienced and enjoyed and know it to be. But at least they're just giving it out free if you already experienced that. So you don't necessarily, you don't even have to go and do that. You know, you don't have to be like, you don't have to play it. With, with like Star Wars, if you're making that argument, there's not even a way to see the original theatrical cuts of those movies unless you go find a, a goddamn VHS collection. Laserdisc. Or, or the Laserdisc, or if you're a super nerd like me and you found that dude that ripped the Laserdiscs and did way more work than anybody should to turn those into DVDs that you can burn and put on your shelf that I may or may have not done, then uh, there's no other way to see that. So, and I know you're looking around. The DVD shelf's in the other room. Oh. <laughs> I can burn you a copy if you'd like. Oh, that's fine. I'll wait for Disney to release it on Blu-ray for Yeah, me. Disney, give me Blu-rays of a theatrical release. I know you said, I'm pretty sure you said you're doing it. I would like that now, please, because I will throw my money at you. All right, so now what? We got a double fine game called Massive Chalice. Yeah, actually, I, I lied earlier. It was not the last Kickstarter-related story. I didn't even hear about this one. Uh, it... There hasn't been a ton about it, honestly. So, Double Fine, who you may recognize uh, being involved with Mr. Tim Schafer, um, and things such as Broken Age, which I'm going to get into in a second about this. Uh, their next game that they kickstarted last year is a strategy game, uh, raised about 1.2-ish million dollars. Um, it is called Massive Chalice. So it, it so it was leaving Steam's early access on June first. Um, so as I said, it's like a turn-based strategy game for the PC. Uh, in E3 2014, they announced they're also going to be releasing it as an Xbox One exclusive. Uh, although at, to this point, they still have not actually specified exactly when that version is going to be available. Uh, so. <clears throat> I suppose the most salient point about this whole thing, at least for me, is how much do people still trust Double Fine? And I say that because, being a backer of uh, Broken Age, we waited like 15 months, I believe. That's not bad. For, for the second half of the game. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's broken. It, yeah, it's in the name, Chris. That's right. I should have totally expected that. You're broken. What broken the, the age. The f- what am I even doing here? But no, like honestly, that is some bullshit. So they raised a lot of money on Kickstarter for this thing under the auspices that it is Tim Schafer and he was going to be making a point-and-click adventure game like he used to. And again, it's playing off the nostalgia thing, just like uh, Bloodstained, just like Mighty Number no. Nine. All of those things, the same thing. And uh, I bought into it just as many other people did. We were expecting a full game out of that. And basically what ended up happening is they got a little too big for their britches and bit off more than they can chew on that whole thing. And kind of came back like a little after the fact and was like, Hey guys, so you gave us your money. You wanted this game. Well... 
we kind of overshot and got really ambitious, and uh, so we're actually only going to release half the game. And not only that, we're asking for more money, which is what they did. Uh, they, uh, according to them, they ran out of funds okay. to do this. Now, keep in mind, this is a 2D stylized <clears throat> point-and-click adventure game. It is not some crazy, like, triple-A, bleeding-edge graphics sort of game. Are you saying that they didn't use that money for Grim Fandango? Remastered? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um, but regardless, there, there was, I, I'm not sure on the details, and I'm not sure that everyone even is, about what exactly happened with that, but... A lot of people were disappointed, myself included, because I played through the first half, and and I enjoyed it. Um, if you like point-and-click adventure games in that old style, like Hero Quest or Police Quest or like any of those types of things, uh, even Sam and Max or Grim Fandango, as a matter of fact, then it's something that you will definitely enjoy, I think. But but here's the thing is, I mean, you ask the question as it relates to Massive Chalice. Sure. It's like, do you still trust Double Fine? Right. I think what we're looking at right now is this thing has already been kickstarted, it's already been funded. So, like was, so was Broken Age. So was Broken Age. And they don't seem to have any problems with it right now. They didn't either with Broken Age in the beginning. Right. But should you still trust Double Fine? Uh, I would still trust Double Fine, and, and it's because of all the other things they did. They did deliver, you know, Grim Fandango remastered. Uh, they did, you know, they did release the second half of Broken Age. Well, there's there's more to that too, actually. So, uh, feeding into that whole thing, the second half of this game is very disappointing. It really is. You waited 15 months for this thing. There are no new environments at all. Basically, the second half, without spoiling anything, you are retreading all of the environments that you already went through in the first half, including all of the same characters you've already met. It's just sort of, like, flipped. And if you've played the first half, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I personally don't feel there was enough included in the second half of this game to justify A, the amount of time it took, and B, the amount of money that they evidently had to raise in order to get this done. They're just... They had all the assets there. They had the assets. They had the voice actors available. They already had everything. There was nothing net new that was added to the second half of this game to justify the weight or the cost. And on top of that, just from like a somewhat of a subjective point of view, like I haven't completely finished it yet, but the way that the second half of that game plays is honestly pretty disappointing. Well, when I, when I kind of think, I, I think you can, I think you can be okay with it. Um, I think, I think it'll be fine with Massive Chalice. I think that'll be okay. If it's not, it's not like this is the the game that's going to break Double Fine. Double Fine has enough of a reputation where they can survive. <clears throat> they I mean, that's one point two million dollars raised for it. They're coming out with a game exclusive to Xbox One, which is stupid. Uh, well, for a MP- Kickstarter NPC. game. Well, NPC, okay, well, then that's better. Listen, all, all I'm saying with this whole thing is that uh, I personally am more wary of backing something from Double Fine, and actually not just Double Fine, but just backing things in general on Kickstarter, because you, that 
just by doing that, you are saying, I'm giving you this money for something I may not actually ever get. But they're not asking you to back them right now. I'm not saying right now. Already just, ba- it's been backed. Right. I, I get that. Yeah. That's, that, that's not what I'm driving at with this thing. What I'm driving at is... It's more of a general like topic. You don't trust double fine. I mean, you could we could we could make this a whole entire topic unto of itself. And do we t- trust Kickstarter? It's, should we? That's the tr- thing. Trust it's, Kickstarter? it's not even necessarily just double fine. It's just the whole Kickstarter platform itself. You know, it is a risk. It, it absolutely is uh, to a certain extent. Like that's kind of the reason why I've sort of been holding back on backing this bloodstain thing. Is it, it could suck. It, it could a it could suck b it could actually not ever happen like there yeah. have been many cases where people have put money into kickstarters that just fizzle out and never happen mm-hmm. and your money is gone and, and so but with something that has happened with uh, broken age and double fine they have set a precedent now where they have already kind of fucked something up and, and listen, I'm not, like, against them. Like, I want them to redeem themselves. And if this massive chalice thing does that, if it comes out, there's really no major issues, everything's fine, everyone's happy, awesome, that's great. I love Tim Schafer, and I love the work he's done. If for nothing else, I would actually want them to come out looking better for this. I'm just saying that they have already set a bad precedent with Broken Age, and I would rather them pull back out of that. That's all. Now, the real question is, is can we trust Ubisoft with more Assassin's Creed? I know this is a, this is a uh, series near and dear to your heart. You're a big uh, fan of it. Uh, you have a Assassin's Creed 3 American flag behind your computer, which, from what you've told me, is an amazing game. No, no. Actually, the collector's edition memorabilia from it was probably the best part of the game. It's very impressive. It is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Alright, so so they've announced the new Assassin's Creed game, and as I was saying earlier, me personally, I've, I actually enjoyed the first two. Um, a lot of people were kind of iffy on the first one, for good reason, I might add. It I liked the first one. Uh, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that there were some things about that that definitely were improved upon in the second one. And I think the second one and then the offshoots from that, like Brotherhood and Revelations, that really refined the Assassin's Creed, like, system. And it did it really well. Um, The first one was more of, like, a proof of concept more than anything. It's like, this is what you can do with this, but it it was pretty rough around the edges, let's be honest. Um, it tried to be too graphically impressive. I think was his biggest flaw because you could tell there's a difference in graphical design from the second, uh, from the second to the first. Well, the, from the first to the second. Well, that and just the systems that were in the game were very bare bones at the mm-hmm. time, and it was it honestly like it was pretty repetitive. Like there wasn't a whole lot of various things to do like you could get in the later Assassin's Creed games. For the most part, it was just here is your assassination mm-hmm. contract. Go find this guy. Do this thing. The story is better than the second one, too. No, absolutely. Much better. So... second one's a masterpiece, I think. I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, And and so, this new one they've announced, it's called Syndicate. Uh, So, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, it is set in Victorian London, uh, which a lot of people were saying was going to happen, and a lot of people were looking for. So, um... 
according to this, it's set in London in uh, 1868. It's going to actually feature two different playable protagonists. Uh, they are twins, Jacob and Evie Fry. So is one of them female? Yes. Oh, yeah. they finally did it. Yeah, I can't imagine why that happened. I have no idea. But uh, for the first time in a major, because I want to qualify that, because there has been a female protagonist in some of like these... The know, PSP game. Right. Liberation or whatever. Right. Um, so I believe, unless I'm horribly mistaken, this is the first time in a mainline Assassin's Creed release that you've been able to play as a female. So... That's cool. Um, that well, was they, they released of, Liberation on the PS3, right? Did they? I think. I know so. it started life as a mobile game. So yeah. Well, okay. A PSP. Game. I need to qualify that. Or not, a PS Vita, whatever it was. Right, a handheld game. That's that's the differentiation there. But uh, it was bad. That's what I heard. I didn't play it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so. Honestly, it looks cool. Uh, it looks like they're going to be. Uh, sticking to a lot of the same things that you know and probably love the Assassin's Creed series for. It's definitely an open-world experience. Um, evidently, you can switch freely between the two characters at any time um, in the open world. Your story missions, when you, so when you activate a story mission, it's going to restrict your choice of one or the other purely for narrative reasons, which, you know, sure, makes sense. Um, I, <clears throat> I am really wary about this... And, and not just because of the details of this particular game, but just because of the track record that Assassin's Creed has gotten lately. Lately. Uh, it has turned into the RPG-ish version of your Madden or, or your NCAA or anything. It's a Call of Duty. Right, exactly. It, it's They've tried to make it a yearly release thing. And personally, I think it's been to the detriment of the series because I don't believe they're putting enough time into it. Well, the um, last time uh, the Assassin's Creed series got critical acclaim was before. Yeah, with Black Flag, that was a good game. Um, and But that even, for the most part, that was quite a big departure from what the Assassin's Creed series was about in the first place. But everybody liked the naval missions so much from 3, which arguably was probably the best part of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just were like, okay, fine. We're just gonna make a game mostly about naval stuff. What I what I find and it worked. Boring about this next one. Now, granted, I I played the first one and the second one. I haven't played any of the others. I do own uh, Brotherhood and Revelations three. I own all those. I need to get to them. I've heard to stay away from three, and that's what's kind of holding me back. Yeah. Um, I want to get four. But what's, what, what strikes me as interesting about this is last year they released two major ones. They released Rogue, mm-hmm. which came out like a fart in the wind, like you didn't really hear about it. No. You, you kind of smelled it, but it, 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 what, what, here's the thing. It wasn't considered to be bad. You just didn't hear anything about it. And then there was Unity, which was trashed. Just trashed for its poor release cycle. The way it came out, uh, the bugs and the glitches that it had, uh, all the errors that it was encountering, it was it was trashed. I'm not saying it was trash, I haven't played it, but it was trashed. And you go from a French Revolution setting with that kind of architecture, and they've been pretty good about varying the architecture over the games. Like, the French architecture and the Italian architecture 
Um, well, that was somewhat actually, different, and that's different than the Middle Eastern architecture. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, but that was actually one of the problems with three. Also, is you're taking a game that with no architecture. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're taking a game that basically thrives off the ability to do a bunch of crazy parkour shit over high rooftops in like a congested city environment. And then you put it in the fucking open forest and also colonial America, which is a bunch of, like, one-level houses and sparse cities. Essentially, you made it Assassin's Creed Cabela's Adventure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, to a certain... I mean, I can see they tried to make it work, but it was really just contrived, and it just didn't work, really. They tried, but it just didn't work. Uh, I, I tried to play that game, and I think I maybe got two-thirds of the way through it, and I couldn't finish it. Well, getting back to what I find boring, is I think they've tried to do it with these, like, mobile games, mm-hmm. uh, the ones like, uh, the one that's in China and the 2D ones. I don't know what they're for. I, I, they're, no, I'm not sure. Uh, but I know they're releasing all these ones that are, are, are mobile units. And they're in other countries. I think, look, why are you going from from... Revolutionary France to to England. It's the same type of architecture, right? It's different, but what you're basically looking at is the same kind of crap. I was just talking uh, with a friend about this. He called me up uh, before I headed over here, and we were talking about the Assassin's Creed in, in speci- uh, particular. And he was saying, I want my next Assassin's Creed game to be where I am a no-shit ninja in Japan. That, yeah, actually a lot of people have mentioned that, that if you're going to be, you know, making pit stops in various timelines throughout history, that that seems like a no-brainer, really. I just don't understand what they're waiting for. Why are they staying in the Eastern Hemisphere? Uh, I mean, Western Hemisphere, I'm sorry, Western Hemisphere. Right, and that's a good question, actually, because now that I think about it, for the most part... Part, we really haven't had any like there hasn't been a whole lot of diversity in like your main characters as the most as... diverse was the first one well you could probably argue the third one because he was Native American okay I mean but it, it is. was in the United States I mean so... sure but you're talking about the first few games were all basically in like you know, well the first the... one the first one was a Middle Easterner yeah. The second one yeah. was an Italian, was okay, all, white and the, guy. And, the, and that's kind of still technically the sort of the bulk is all like Renaissance era stuff. Or at least it's the bulk of anything that most people give a shit about. When it was development hell and they couldn't figure out how to put a number on things. Yeah, yeah, then there was that. Uh, but even with that, those still turned out to be pretty good games overall. Right. Um, and yeah, and then we went to America and we had a Native American and. The problem with that character, Connor was just... He's not a likable character. Actually, you know what? The better character um, was Kenway. Kenway was a more interesting character in that game than Connor, by far. And you played uh, as him in the beginning, and I really hope I'm remembering his name correctly because I'm just going to sound stupid if I don't. Which I think a lot of that led to... In addition to people enjoying the naval missions in that game, was why they were like, okay, well, we'll focus on basically kind of this guy and boats for Black Flag. Yeah, um, it was a big departure from the formula of the series, but it worked. Uh, so, as far as Syndicate goes, I am taking as I have been doing since I <laughs> bought the collector's edition of three. 
I am taking a wait and see attitude with that one. I would really like it to be good because I actually really like the uh, sort of Victorian England setting. I like the setting, yeah. But I am going to wait. There are many things that they have already shown that they can manage to fuck up. Technical issues and also just the the game overall. If it's not a good narrative and the gameplay is not good, then it's not going to be worthwhile. So I really want it to be good because I really like the essence of the Assassin's Creed series, but they they need to get back to it. It's the same argument that I had with like Silent Hill, which I'm pretty sure we're never going to see another one of those. But. Silent Hill fans have been waiting longer than Assassin's Creed fans. Uh, yeah. yeah what I'm waiting for is Ubisoft to go full meta and do Assassin's Creed Quebec. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, he would probably be the most non-confrontational assassin ever. <laughs> or at the very least, he would kill someone and then apologize for it afterwards. But Could he have a hockey stick as an assassination weapon? I think that would be pretty I've, cool. I feel like that's required. Maybe like some GameStop-exclusive pre-order DLC. You can dress up as um, Casey Jones. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, we are talking about a console release, and we did touch on mobile. And one company apparently thinks that mobile games are the future. And it's hard to argue that, I think. But you'd be surprised about who it's coming from. The company that's putting all, that's going all in on mobile and saying that they're going to make mobile their main platform is, well, one that you've probably heard about quite a bit recently. It's Konami. Yep. And Konami is pretty much saying, you know, fuck your consoles. And if you haven't figured this out by how they handled the whole PT thing and now they're handling Hideo Kojima and if you can think of any other console Konami published game other than Metal Gear Solid 5 right now this shouldn't really be surprising he goes they look at a profitable game as a game that is what they call pay as you play model pay as you play so I'm starting to expect you know maybe you'll start seeing endless runners of Rocket Knight Adventures maybe you'll start to see the Castlevania Adventure be not a Game Boy game, but like a turn-based free-to-play Castlevania game. I think to me, this is Konami telling every console owner right now, uh, fuck you. Well, I don't, maybe, they're not really saying that, but that's how console gamers who have known Konami throughout the years, like you and me, who have known it for, as the article we're reading, uh, insights Contra, Gradius, Castlevania, and Metal Gear, and Silent, and Silent Hill. Hill. They have just, you know, they've created these series on consoles. They are known for what they did on consoles. If you go back to the Nintendo era, if you go back Super Nintendo, even PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, I mean, PlayStation Two is where they really started to kind of go, you know, make a disappearing act, just go nowhere. But all the way to the end of the PlayStation era, Konami was one of the greatest developers you can name. And now they're going to the mobile market. And will the mobile market be the future of games? It's, it's highly possible that it will because the mobile market is there. 
but nothing on the mobile market to me right now has shown this is a platform for the audience that they have captured and enamored over the years. I, I, and you're right, but I don't think they care, honestly. No, because, don't. I mean, even the quotes that they have from this article, you know, they're saying, so gaming has spread to a number of platforms, but at the end of the day, the platform that is always closest to us is mobile. And they believe that mobile is where the future of gaming lies. So they throw in a little bit of like a platitudes at the end of this thing, saying that, you know, that they hope that their overseas games, such as Metal Gear Solid Five and Winning Eleven, which, by the way, I actually have no idea what that is. That's a soccer game. Okay, great. Uh, they hope that they continue to do well, but we're always thinking about how to push our franchises onto mobile there, too. So they're basically saying, like, yeah, okay, we still got these things that we're too deep into at this point to say fuck off like they did with Silent Hills or, or any of that. So we obviously hope they do well because we'd like to make our money back. But uh, we don't really care because we're just going to go all in with mobile. Are they wrong from a financial point of view? Probably not. Uh, because, and I say that because big AAA development is expensive. It, it always has been, but it has got exponentially more expensive as time goes on. And uh, Well, this is where the middle tier, the middle tier that existed back in the day. If you, if you remember, like, do you remember, think about those middle-of-the-line games that sold. Like, Contra wasn't necessarily a AAA game. It wasn't AAA. It just was a game a lot of people liked. Maybe the original was, like, Contra 3. Like, not a lot of people bought a Super Nintendo 4 Contra 3. It was a very good game. Or Castlevania... Think about Castlevania Symphony of the Night. When that game came out, yeah. that wasn't a AAA game. Well, I mean, what... I guess it, was a, it was a mid-tier game, but it was as good as a AAA game could be. Because your AAA games back then were your 3D platformers. Not a 2D castle-exploring game. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I, I just think that they're, they're viewing it that way, though, that, like, console development is not lucrative enough. Because all you're, all you're getting out of that, like, okay, let's, let's say it's not even a triple A game, just almost any game that's going to come out of a big publisher like that, or a big developer like that, uh, is going to cost a not insignificant amount of money that they are going to have to recoup mostly by box sales and of course I, that's a dated term but you know what I mean mm -hmm. uh, you know from the actual sale of the game and then DLC if they can push some DLC they're going to try to recoup costs that way that's the only way that they're getting that back so they're looking at it that way and then they're saying oh well we could do that or we could sink probably less money into creating a mobile game for iOS and Android and not only is our upfront investment less than what it would be for a console game, but then we can also monetize the shit out of this thing. And it, people can download it for free, probably. They'll just be like, no, sure, download it for free. It's free to play. Ad revenue. Then there's a shop. And in addition to a shop, there, you're right, there might be ad revenue. Let me qualify this by saying I don't agree at all. Like, as a gamer, I do not agree with this approach. However, I can see where they're coming from as a corporation whose sole purpose is to make profit. 
I can see them looking at this and being like, why the hell would we make a console game when we could make a bunch of mobile games where we have this basically steady and more or less unending stream of income from people who are going to do these microtransactions on a fairly regular basis? But what? But I, the way I look at it right now as well is the mobile market hasn't proven itself to be a financial vi- a financially viable streamline of 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 revenue over a set period of time. It's a very 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 young and new kind of market. I mean comparatively sure it's it's comparatively unproven, but but look at Zynga. We talked about Zynga last week. They continue to cut their their whole entire basis. Okay, they started on Facebook, but right. they, they they moved to mobile. And, and they're starting to lose their employees. They're starting to lose their market, slowly but surely. Look at EA. Remember EA got rid of all those games that were free to play on the mobile market not too long ago, like the FIFA World <clears throat> and Battlefield Hardlines and stuff like that. Yeah, and the then pay as you play Sega's model. cleaning those out too. Sega's cleaning them out because they're getting rid of the ones that they see are taking up money. So they're starting to see, yeah, can it make money? Sure, it can make money. But you gotta make something that's gonna catch the attention. And the mobile market, what people are looking for are fucking Flappy Bird and Candy Crush. And I mean, then they get their fill and they move away. It's very possible that this is a just another bubble that might end up bursting. You're right. And and it might not be a good long term strategy. But I do see where they're coming from. Like I mean you have things like I mean fucking Game of War, which is a terrible name by the way obviously has enough money that they can be pumping out these commercials on a regular basis With on Kate Upton's sweet With, sweet boobs yeah I mean that's really all I get out of that is just like some some big old baps and that's about it but like if they have the money to get Kate Upton to do all of their commercials and not only that get time slots on places like AMC during showings of The Walking Dead, uh, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I actually just went to see the midnight screening of the new Mad Max last night. How was it? It was good, okay. by the way. If if you are a fan of Mad Max or any sort of like Fallout-esque, like post-apocalyptic kind of stuff, and or action movies, I would totally recommend going to see it. Uh, but you saw a mobile game advertised. Right, yeah, Game of War. At the, be- at the beginning of that, like, mixed in with, like, the previews and stuff, there was a Kate Upton commercial for Game of War at the theater. So, if games like that have enough money that they can pull that sort of advertising, do I think it's sustainable? Probably not, because part of the reason that they're advertising in these places is because they know that they've already saturated the market of people who would have played the game anyway. So now they're trying to reach out to anyone they can get to to continue that stream because you're right like I don't think it's necessarily sustainable because at some point people are just going to be like ah, I don't want to play it anymore whatever but it's hard to argue you know like I can see why they're doing it I don't agree with it at all and whether or not it's a long term strategy that's going to work out for them it's hard to say but at this point, it is what it is. So apparently, any any of you, including myself and Chris, who uh, were big fans of Konami's uh, big franchises, you're probably just going to be relegated to some mobile knockoff titles, 
or hope for the best with things like Kickstarter and Bloodstain, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I say this mostly. I mean, what I'm saying when I criticize the mobile game market is, I don't want Konami to be successful in the mobile game market. I want them to come back to the consoles. I want them to start making a more dedicated, robust games at the upper, mid tier, lower triple A level. That's what Konami has always been to me. That's what Konami will always be to me. And that's those were when they made the greatest games. Because I don't see games like Life Force or uh, Castlevania or um, even the... Well, Metal Gear Solid was. But even the original Silent Hill kind of didn't feel like a AAA title. And that's... It was a lower tier AAA maybe. But... Those were when Konami was at its greatest, and now they're upset that they, when they put out a AAA, it cost too much money, and now they're going to mobile because of that. And that's why I say that I don't want them to. I don't right. want them to succeed. Now what we really need is just a lot of the original members from Team Silent to get on Kickstarter and make something close to a new Silent Hill game. Please, please make that happen. I hope it does. Original members of The Simpsons are leaving, though. Mm, yes, yes they are. So, uh, transitioning to the few uh, movie and television entertainment stories that we wanted to cover this week. Um, Harry Shear is officially leaving The Simpsons. Um, so, if you don't know who that is... Uh, he voices I- Mr. Burns. He voices Ned, Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. Yeah. I think those are the two most notable voices that you may recognize from the show. Yeah, I mean, is he's voiced actually dozens of characters, but those are some of the more notable ones. So, uh, yeah, at, at this point, uh, the executive producer uh, has, uh, who's James Brooks, has, or James Brooks's lawyer, actually, uh, has officially stated that Harry will no longer be a part of the show going forward. It's, I mean, it's unfortunate, definitely, and with such a long-running show like that, he, he is the voice of those characters, so you kind of have to wonder what they're going to do. I, I, I honestly wish the show was no longer going forward. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's had a good run, but... I, I don't think I've watched that show consistently since, what are we going into, the 28th season next year? Oh, it's more than that. They they renewed for twenty eighth and 29th season. So so, I I don't think I ever watched this season religiously, or not religiously. I never watched it religiously, but consistently. In shit, since this thirteenth season, maybe, maybe a little later than that. Maybe maybe I watched a little bit of like it's I don't know twentieth season, twenty first or something like that. I just know it's yeah. been a while. At this point, I gotta say, like, I don't think I've watched The Simpsons regularly since it's gotta be. Well, let's see, it's over a decade actually. Like, I have not watched an actual Simpsons episode unless I managed to catch it just randomly somewhere in over ten years at least. Um, it's yeah. Um, and I'm looking at this. Harry Shear is 71 years old. Yeah, he's 71. The Simpsons has gone on for a very long time, and you know, absolute kudos to them. They've been very successful. Uh, I think they're not as good as they have been originally. That's a common sentiment amongst many Simpsons fans, is that they've kind of dropped off in their terms of their quality. They're not as good as they used to be, is what a lot of people say. And, and for good reason. It's, it's just become this... The way I've seen it is just like animation fluff that they prepped you for for Family Guy, and Family Guy's not as good as it used to be either. 
No, but I mean, after 26 some odd seasons, yeah. like, what you, you kind of run out of shit, right? It's ran I mean, its course. I mean, I, I it was a good show for, you know, what it was worth. Uh, maybe this will be, well, at least, I guess not now, since it's been renewed for two more seasons, but maybe this will be an indication that it's about time to wrap it up. I think this they should wrap it up. I think when they see yeah, it's been renewed for two more seasons, at this point I, I view it as we have to deal with the show for two more seasons. I mean, I mean, I don't. Well, we don't have. I don't, I don't, I don't have it. to deal with it. It's just there. But like I, like this has to be in a news stream of some sort for the next two seasons. Yeah. The, all the original voice actors are going to start dropping off. I mean, they're getting old. I don't mean dying off. I mean like they don't care anymore. No, I mean at this point they're just retiring. Like, <laughs> like I just said, Harry Shear is seventy-one. Yeah. If I was seventy-one, I mean he's probably made quite a bit of money for himself. Maybe if I was seventy-one, sure. I wouldn't want to work anymore and actually be able to enjoy that. Yeah. I've been doing the same voice for people for the past thirty years in addition to other stuff. I'm sure he had a blast doing these things. And what I, from what I can understand, he did this over a contract dispute. Essentially saying that he left because they wouldn't let him do other things other than The Simpsons is, is what I was reading into it. Hmm. Um, and so they were going to pay him quite a bit of money to do this still, but it was what he could do outside of it. And, you know, it's just, you know, Harry Shear, go enjoy your time. Your best episodes are behind you. The Simpsons' best episodes are behind them. Uh, go enjoy your time. Go, uh... You know, Simpsons, Godspeed. <laughs> Godspeed. I won't be watching 28 or 29 because I haven't been watching, like, uh, 22 mm. or 20 through 27 or whatever it's been. It's been forever. <laughs> we like you, but we just really have been watching in a very long time. Very, very long time. All right. So, a few months back, the FCC, there's a big deal about what was going on in the FCC. Uh, in terms of net neutrality, for those who have uh, don't may not know, net neutrality is where essentially internet providers could not restrict access or charge you more for accessing certain websites, and they pretty much decided to come down with that decision and make the internet a utility, much like water and electricity. So pretty much these internet service providers had to provide you with certain content like it was anything they couldn't restrict anything like it could be regulated to how much how many megabytes per second or megabits per second you're allowed to upload and download and everything like that well they came out with this decision and now companies they're not obviously they're not too happy about this they want to make money and they don't like to be told how to make money so the companies petitioned to the FCC and says that they don't want to be labeled as utility. They want to delay it. Essentially, reading over this, the companies, the, the, the major companies like Comcast and Time Warner Cable, saying that they would have too many losses if some of these implementations went into went into. Uh, to effect. To effect. Yeah, of course they would because they're charging a goddamn arm and a leg for subpar service now. Mm -hmm. Well, the FCC actually, you know, for all the 
shitty things that, I mean, questionable things the FCC has done where it looked like they were going to side with the companies to allow them to restrict who could access their servers and who could not and allow them to do whatever they could and make money off of all these sites that were taking up their bandwidth, the FCC pretty much told these companies go fuck themselves. By the way, I, I also like that the broadband providers that were trying to petition this thing tried to spin it that uh, there would be significant costs that would hurt the consumers as a result of this, like trying to make them out into some sort of fucking martyr or something. It, it wouldn't hurt the consumers. It would hurt their market share. It would hurt, not their market share, it would hurt, it would hurt their stock prices. That's what it would hurt. It would hurt their stock prices because... Essentially, what I'm looking over is that I don't know the entire rules behind it, but if it's acted as utility, a utility, they can't, like when you go have electricity or water, they can't tell you, okay, like you can only limit so much water it's coming in. So what they're saying is when it's like utility, it's like the most amount of bandwidth that you can allow everyone's supposed to get. And how much they use is what they use. Right. And, and in, addition, in addition to that, it, it, by classifying it as a utility, there's there's additional things there that uh, are beneficial for the consumer. Where, you know, it's not like, as you're saying, like electricity or water, it's not like uh, you could get a different price for your electricity depending on which company you went with or yeah. something like that. You know, it's not like one place is going to charge you more than the other. Uh, and, and also, right, your, your access is not being restricted like these, you know, companies currently do with their, you know, uh, internet service providing. Uh, of course, they don't want this. But it's definitely something that needs to be done. Uh, they, I mean, we, America ranks incredibly low amongst the rest of the developed nations in the world as far as our average broadband speeds. Part of that has to do with a lack of infrastructure, which is, I think, a larger problem than just the ISPs. But they are not helping either. The amount of money that we pay for what we get for our up and down speeds uh, on on broadband is ludicrous by comparison. Like it's a lot of European countries, you'll talk to someone from there, and they pay such a minimal amount for amazing internet speed that you would have to be paying through the nose for here. Oh, right. Like, there's even places, most places in America have faster internet speeds than I have. I have AT&T U-verse mm. and their broadband service, and I get fiber optics, so it's really reliable. Um, it's more reliable than what I had with uh, Comcast. But at the same time, it, it, it's not that fast. Like, wireless or even over the open line. Like, I'm thinking fiber optics. I'm thinking this is going to be at minimum uh, 100 megabits per second. And I should be getting that. At this point, if you're telling me I'm getting fiber optics, I should be getting at least 100 megabits per second. That's my thought process. Yeah, and I mean, part of like making this a utility is that ostensibly there, you know, there's going to be a minimum threshold 
of service, you know? Well, they did make a minimum threshold, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, I believe they did. And they, they weren't happy about that. No, of course not, no. But, I mean, you know, there are still plenty of places in rural America that don't even get... You're lucky if you get dial-up in some of those places. Well, that's what they... I mean, they have the satellite internet for that. So. <sighs> Which is still it's not It's not terrible. as great as what, like, uh, cable, and cable is. Or... Right, right. I just... This is something that definitely needs to be standardized. It should not be privatized anymore. Um, it, it, As far as I'm concerned, it has become so ubiquitous... You know, over the past, well, 10 or 20 years, I suppose, mm-hmm. that uh, it's absolutely justified. I mean, it, it, okay, this is the same argument as like, because some people will be like, well, you don't need internet to live, man. You're, you know what? You're absolutely right. You don't. You really don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also make that same argument for electricity. You really don't actually need electricity to live. You don't. Mm-hmm. If yeah, you yeah. really look yeah, at it that way. fire. Right. But it ha- it is such an integral part of our society. our society at this point that, sure, you could live without it, but should you? Really? I mean, and, and so Internet has gotten to that point now where it is, it is the source of all of our information, really. Uh, you know, it is the way that many of us stay connected with the world, um, there's no reason that it shouldn't be on that same level. So I'm glad this is happening. Of course they're going to fight it to the end. Well, of course they will. Just a recent example of, if you don't think net neutrality is needed, if you don't believe that this act that the FCC passed to make it what they're doing and why the companies are afraid, and for I understand that it wasn't perfect, but it's better than what originally was feared, Look at what Comcast was doing with HBO Go on the PlayStation 3. If I remember correctly, uh, I don't know if it's been corrected, but Comcast was not allowing PSN users and and HBO Go subscribers to use HBO Go on the PS3. It was available on like Xbox, Xbox One. It may have been even available on the PS4. I'm not too sure about that. But they wouldn't allow it to be used on the PlayStation 3. Or any Sony product, so maybe PlayStation 4 isn't true. But, but that just shows the net neutrality. Like Comcast probably was a hey, was probably looking at HBO and saying, hey, we want to kick back if you want to put it on this system. Or looking at Sony and like, hey, if you want HBO Go to be on the Sony PlayStation 3, we want a little bit of money or we're going to restrict it to that. That's what net neutrality is about. It's if you get an internet service, you're allowed to use anything that uses the internet. Not because your ISP doesn't agree. It's not it's not like cable TV where like Comcast or AT&T or DirecTV is carrying a channel and they're selling to you that package and based off what you pay for that package, a little bit of that money goes to every single one of those channels that they're giving you. That's not the internet. The internet is just data. So Comcast can turn around and say, this data, can't, you can't see this data. That's, that's not how this works. And that's why net neutrality is, is so vital. And just the streaming of digital content. And in order to get all that digital content, we're going to go to our main topic. Unless you have anything more to say about net neutrality. I mean, there, there's a lot that could be said about net neutrality, but I think it's a lot that people have already heard. I mean... Mm-hmm. 
these are all steps in the right direction. I hope it continues to go that way. I mean, things like the, the even the notion of paid prioritization where, you know, uh, companies or something can pay ISPs to give them priority access to data over other consumers or, or you know, throttling subscribers, you know, if they're utilizing their service too much or things like that or just outright blocking content just because they don't feel that they want to serve it up or they've been paid off to do so is all complete bullshit so if this is going to go in the right direction of avoiding those things and abolishing it altogether uh, i'm totally all for it all right that's it for what's on tap thank you for staying with us this long (laughs) you've been served quite a few new stories now we're on to the main, main attraction. That is our main topic for the week. We haven't came up with a clever name for this yet. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. But today's main topic is digital content versus physical content and how the industry is going to be moving towards an all-digital world. And this is just mostly our opinions. We're not really going to be bringing up news stories, but just things that we observe. I think we can both agree that video games and just not just video games but all sorts of content movies books uh comics will probably be there soon i mean they already are they they mean you buy a marvel comic it says you get the digital edition every time you buy it everything's going digital everything's going to be stored on a disc somewhere on a server or on your hard drive and is that necessarily a good thing or in the cloud even maybe worse Um, (laughs) is that necessarily a good thing and me personally I'm I'm not so sure alright well why don't you start then okay well look physical content is something I think all of us are familiar with unless you're like 12 or 13 physical content is look you get discs in case if that's the case what are you listening to this podcast this is this is not for you this is explicit well, when I was 12 or 13, I was listening to plenty of explosive shit. In fact, I had a filthier mouth than I do now. Why? I don't know. I just did. Trust me, 13-year-olds are nasty, man. <laughs> They're straight fucking nasty. Ah, see, there it is. Yeah. That's from somewhere. All fucking nasty. I, I, I believe in physical content better. Why do I believe in physical content more? It's not so much that physical content is technically better. Because if you're talking about the ability to bring something up quickly without having to search through it through through an entire library of stuff or having to worry about it being crushed or broken or deteriorating, digital content is going to serve you more. And that's because digital content, as long as it's stored in a server or as long as it's stored in the hard drive you're at, is going to be there. As long as that's good for. As long as someone supports it. Mm. My problem is, of course, it's, it kind of goes back to the PT demo last week, or, or mobile gaming. So let's take your favorite mobile game. Let's say that you really love Flappy Bird. Does that remember what happened when Flappy Bird disappeared off the face of the earth? People went ape shit. If that's your favorite game, by the way, we, we, we have some words that we need to... Well, there's casual people out there that won't be listening to this podcast. I don't think there's anybody that would say that Flappy Bird is their favorite game. I I would certainly hope not. I hope not. When that game disappeared, people went apeshit. And let's say that game never came back on any platform whatsoever. That game would be erased from history. Mm. There there are games that have been erased from history. Uh, Afterburner Climax 
on the PSN. You can't buy that on PSN anymore. You can't buy it. The only way to get it is if you have already bought it. The remake of Turtles in Time, even though I've heard it shit, I haven't played it, but the remake of Turtles in Time uh, for the PSN and Xbox 360, you can't buy that anymore. Really? Really. Oh, I still have it. You cannot buy it anymore unless you've already bought it. Mm. There are a lot of games out there. I think there's a version of Outrun that came out uh, that you can't buy anymore. And now PT has fallen victim to that. In fact, if you delete that game, you cannot re-download that game anymore. However, if you're really quick about it, you could pay like a couple grand for a PS4 with it installed on eBay. Yeah, but if you do that, you're retarded. <laughs> the problem, that's the problem in digital content. And it's all moving to digital content. That's why I look at a game like Bloodstain if I back it, which I'm probably going to do. I'm going to get the physical copy because it's something I can hold on to. It's something I know that the servers won't go down, and in 10 years from now, if my PlayStation 4 even functions, I can put in my PS4 and I can play it. And that's something that can't be said about a lot of games now. I mean, I can put a lot of things in my Sega Genesis and my NES, and they work the same as they did back when it was originally released. Mm. And there's a lot of digital games on Xbox Live Arcade, PlayStation Network, Steam, that 10 years from now, if those go away and I have to swap up my hard drive, well... I may never get to see those again. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I agree with that. Um, it's, I don't know, man, it's hard because I, I can I can see both sides of the argument. Like, for me, it, it would almost, <laughs> to a certain degree, it would almost sound hypocritical for me to say that I prefer physical content because I have, like, almost 300 games on my Steam list. So, it... <sighs> I, I like both. I, I really like the convenience of digital. Um, and even Steam in the beginning, you know, people hated Steam, including myself. Like, when it first came out, it was more of an inconvenience than anything because it was just like, oh, there's this extra piece of software that I apparently need to launch for me to even play, like, Half-Life or Counter-Strike. This is stupid. But Valve evolved it into such... A successful platform that I don't even think twice about it now, and and this is this might be actually going off into like sort of a tangential sort of rant about digital versus physical. It's still related, but part of I what I believe makes Steam so successful is the sales. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and that's because apart from that, most places. Uh, if you're buying a brand new game, like let's say you're purchasing The Witcher 3, for example, which is coming out Tuesday. It's supposed to be really good. Uh, oh, I want that game so bad, but I'm going to wait. So <clears throat> let's say you're buying that, right? For the most part, if you buy a digital copy of that game, it is still going to cost you just as much as if you walked into a store and bought a disc off a shelf. And I say that in most cases, because a lot of places now will actually, I've seen, particularly with The Witcher 3, you'll get, like, a, you know, pre-order, like, discount where you'll pay, like, ten bucks less or whatever if you buy it digitally, like, right away before it comes out. But, by and large, you are still paying more or less the same amount of money for something that's digital versus something that is physical. I do not agree. Should be a lot cheaper. Absolutely. I disagree with that categorically because of that because 
the digital version of that game, what are you paying for? You're paying for the data. That's really what you're paying for. You're not paying for a manual. You're not paying for the manufacturing. You're not paying for a manual. You're not paying for a physical disc. You're not paying for any extra things they might throw in the box. Distribution. To be fair, they don't include manuals anymore. Uh, I mean, they kind of. But yeah, do, distribution. But, yeah. I mean, do whatever, man. I'm a fucking yeah. old man. Okay, games had manuals. I interrupted your thoughts. <laughs> Some games I still said, have manuals. I said it first, so I remember when I was like 12, and game manuals from like my SNES were like my bathroom reading material. Okay? Yeah, they 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 so, had more than one page. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, the one page was like, for the full manual, please go to this URL. It's like, why did you print this? <laughs> but anyway, so you're not paying for any of those costs that would be incurred by the developer or the publisher or, or, or any of them, yet you are still paying almost the same amount of money for a digital copy. I do not agree with that at all. I think from the get-go, if you want to buy a physical copy and you want to have that tactile sense of having that thing in your hand and on a shelf, then sure, pay the premium because it costs them more to actually manufacture and distribute that thing. Fine. But paying the same amount of money for something that I can just click two times on like Steam and then have it download to my hard drive is insane. And the fact that we've been accepting that all along is also insane, which is part of the reason why I don't buy games on release. Because, well, A, because I know there's going to be a sale eventually, and B, because I I don't agree with the pricing structure. Uh, There have been some places that have been taking steps to rectify that. It's still not where I think it should be. I think the physical version of the game is $60. The digital version of the game should be 40 Yes, that's that's actually exactly where I'm at with that, honestly. Like, I, that's, that is an argument I've made before. Like, if our industry standard is you're going to pay, like, 60 bucks for your, your bog-standard physical release of a game without any of the crazy collector's editions or pre-order exclusive bullshit or whatever, if $60 is your price point, then if you're going to release it digitally, 40 is where I would think is fair for that. It but makes sense to me. There, there are a lot of instances, too. But this is where I get torn on digital games. Because there are games out there in physical release that are so rare that conceivably getting them... You're, if you have a gaming budget, you're pretty much ruining your gaming budget for a while. Unless you're not on a budget and you have the money to do this kind of stuff. But I'm not the kind of guy who can just hear that Tron Bonds at a store and just plunk down $240 to buy it. Mm. But I am the kind of guy that might be interested in seeing that Tron Bond is available on the PSN for 6 bucks, which it is now. Sure. And that's due to digital availability. Because that thing is not a physical thing, the price point of that game, unless it comes off the servers and is locked onto a hard drive, will never go above $6. Right. You're not creating an artificial demand by limiting the quantity. And that's what's good about digital games. I, I mean, I have Suicoden 2 right now on my hard drive on the PSN. If I wanted to get a physical copy of Suicoden 2, I'd be spending $200 on that thing. Yeah. And, and why would I want to spend anywhere close to $200 on a video game? It's, it's, 
when games come out for $60, there's no reason to me, if a game costs $60 upon release, to spend any more than $60 in any video game, unless it holds something extremely dear to you, or you plan on reselling it and you're just getting it way lower. I think because the point is to play the damn thing. I mean, sure, for the most part. I mean, there are just people that collect it for the sake of collecting, but, I mean... Uh, so, yeah, so the convenience is obviously a big factor in, in digital, and I am a huge proponent of that. Like, I like the fact that I can get onto Steam and look at something and be like, oh, I want that. Boom, I have it now. That's it. Like, And, and, and again, like I said, a, par- a huge part of why Steam has been so successful is because... Of the pricing. Oh, the sales. The sales are amazing. Uh, granted, they've been a little lackluster recently, but for the most part, the, their regular sales, like, it's hard to turn that down when you're like, ah, oh, man, I wanted to play that game and it's on sale for like 50% off now. Ah, uh, I think I'm just going to get it. It, it, it. it really feeds into that whole impulse buy sort of thing. So it But it works. also discourages you from buying any product new. Yes, yes, it does. And like I said that earlier, like I, for the most part, I don't buy anything new now because I know I can right. wait for yeah. a sale. Especially when you're a PC gamer. Right, right. It makes um, no sense. No, I mean, unless you absolutely want to start playing a game on day one, you know, more power to you. But even then, there's a lot of issues that come with that too. Like, again, The Witcher 3. Would I like to play that on Tuesday when it comes out? Hell yes. Yes. Am I going to? No. No. Not only because I don't necessarily want to pay full price for it, especially with PC games, uh, and actually, but increasingly more so with console games as they get closer and closer to basically just being PCs that sit in your living room, by being an early adopter on those things, you run the risk of running into some major issues. I mean, that's like Mortal Kombat X, for example. Like, you know, Assassin's you, Creed Unity. Right. Like, any. You could come up with a number of games where if you bought into that thing early, like on release or shortly thereafter. Skyrim. You were probably screwed in a lot of cases because of game breaking issues. And so I would rather wait. And have not only a more stable and enjoyable gaming experience, but pay less for it. Well, that's not necessarily a something that's happened because of digital versus physical. That's just something that's happened because of the ability that everything is connected to the internet. Sure. Uh, sure. Because, I mean, even physical copies of games, I mean, you're going to get to the point where the servers on Xbox 360, where if this is going back to the digital aspect of things, are going to shut down. Mm. And you're going to have games that you just put into your Xbox 360 that aren't able to patch and are going to have some major flaws. Yeah. And that, that's that's more yeah. of a problem on the industry in general. That's a huge problem that we can probably get to down the line. Yeah, day one patches. Day yeah. one patches. Those are, those are great. I mean, even the Wii U, let's say that you get a brand new Wii U inbox 10 years from now. Hmm. And you open it up, and you hook it up, and you want to play it. Your Wii U will not be able to play Wii games. I mean, isn't that isn't that a strange concept? Because the only reason your Wii U is able to play Wii games is because of the day one patch. Oh, see, I actually wasn't aware of that. I, I bought a Wii U, like, way after the fact, so I didn't... But you had that. to download a massive patch to your system when you, when you uploaded it, right? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, unless they're unless they release them now with like their software updates. It, 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 I say the, it might have been updated prior because I'm not sure if I remember that. But in either case, like, I got because uh, I got one the, the the year it came out the, for Christmas of the year it came out. Yeah. So not like at launch, but shortly after. Um, and you had to download a massive patch to your system in order to play Wii games, in order to have certain network functionality. Like if you now if you buy a Wii U ten years from now. You might be able to buy the uh, virtual console games, maybe. Mm. I mean, but if it's not connected, it's different. I mean, if you're not connected at all, you won't be able to get virtual console games. But things will load up slower because there's been significant improvements to the overall uh, oh, um, operating system. Yeah. That weren't there, and that's and but that's that's the digital aspect of these things. And and you you point to Steam, and I look like you've been on Steam. I think over ten years now. I have been on Steam since they released it, yeah, which was like 2004, and so yeah. So PC gamers think this is probably all kind of silly when you talk about digital physical content, because PC gamers have been, well, PC gamers have I, been doing digital content for, for well over a decade now. Almost, I mean, yes, I, I, I personally don't necessarily think it's silly. I mean, I still think there is something to be said for a physical copy, but you grew up on you grew up on the Master System, well, yeah, and the Super yeah. Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, if you were born at a point where like Steam was already an established thing, and like mm-hmm. you were used to just buying games and downloading them, sure, like I could totally see that. I mean, but you're right. I mean, at least for me, like prior to that, you know, I all of my gaming was done with like physical plastic mm-hmm. cartridges. So, I mean, and, but even everything has. A lifespan, right? Like even your physical copies, like CDs, only have an X amount of years where technically they're still going to work. Like eventually they will degrade and will no longer function. Bit rot, right? So, uh, granted, it might be longer than it takes for you know somebody to shut down a server. Well, here's the thing: like a C, a CD, like even a bit rot. If you preserve your CD correctly and don't like put it in the sunlight for all day and you keep it in a relatively cool location and you take care of the thing that yeah. thing will last beyond your lifetime or beyond any you know if you're beyond the point where you could probably pick up a controller to play a damn video game let alone care about its status mm. you know you're, you're looking you're looking at hundred, you know over a hundred years of being able to stay the data if you store it correctly and then you haven't even gotten to cartridges well, and I mean, that's the other thing too, right? Is like, we're getting, to, well, getting to, we've kind of already gotten there, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where a lot of, uh, for example, like Game Boy cartridges, mm-hmm. a lot of those things don't hold a save anymore because you have to go and swap out the battery, which is maybe not a huge deal, but again, it's still going back to... But it's not data loss. It's the data is still there. If the, well, the game, sure, yeah. the game is there. If you keep your Game Boy on, uh, and you just keep it perpetually on, you mm. can play the game from start to finish. I mean, yeah, yeah. But a digital game, you if if I just got my PS4, I cannot play PT. Nope, I can't. If I if I had never bought uh, Turtle uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reshelled ever, ever during that generation. Even though I don't know why I mean, you want to. I mean, you're not to. really missing out on that, actually. I don't know why you want to, but I have. if I had never done it, I would never be able to if I wanted to. No. I mean, it, you're right. But if I wanted to play Super Mario Land for the Game Boy, 
I hop on eBay and I buy the fucking thing and I put it in my Game Boy and I don't have to worry about a battery backup dying. I just play the thing. Well, I mean, so I think this really comes down to more of like a preservationist aspect, right? Of like, course it does. That, that's I think that's really the argument there. And it's a, it's a completely legitimate argument, you know. So if everything is 100% digital... Like, how are you going to preserve those things? I mean, especially when, in cases like PT or, you know, reshelled or things like that, companies will just pull them off the marketplaces. And, I mean, you you would hope that somebody has that source code sitting somewhere. But do, we don't have access to it, and anybody that would be interested in archiving that for future generations do not have access to it. So, so yes... Uh, in that aspect, I think physical is still a very important thing if you want to try to preserve these things for future generations. Because, And, I mean, that's actually the same argument that's being made about photography now, where everything is digital photography. Everyone uses an iPhone to take pictures of everything unless you're a professional or a hipster. Or a professional hipster. There, Yeah, sure. You could be a professional hipster. So it's the same argument that's being made there. Like, you know, traditionally, you would have physical art that could be put somewhere and preserved and looked at for generations to come, whereas there are millions upon millions of photographs and things like that that will probably be lost to time because they were on a hard drive somewhere that got corrupted or wiped or thrown out or put in someone's closet i don't know so yeah i mean it's really weighing the convenience of digital versus the longevity of a physical copy but do we really think that i mean how much longer do you think that they're going to be producing physical copies because i think we're getting to a point now where we're just going to be consuming everything digitally whether it's streaming or downloaded i don't think well, they're going to be manufacturing things anymore considering the xbox one right was supposed to be an all digital console from this from the get-go the xbox one was supposed to be a lot of things from the get-go well, it was supposed to be a lot of things from the get-go considering that the ps4 allegedly was supposed to be an all digital console from the get-go yeah. until they saw the reaction to the xbox one and what people thought about that. We're not too far off from an all-digital world. No. Uh, we're no, not too no. far from an all-digital console. I think once once we do go all-digital, there won't be any point to consoles. Why would there be any point uh, to consoles so if we go all-digital? You know, we essentially actually, all be PCs. I, well, I was going to say, I would actually argue that I don't think there's much of a point to consoles now. Um, Not really. With with the fact that they are all based on an x86 architecture at this point. Except for the Wii U. Oh, that's right. We always forget about the Wii U. I wonder why. I, I don't. <laughs> you may. I don't. I mean, it's a thing. Sure, whatever. I mean, you can play Splatoon on it next weekend. Um, but I won't be. I'll probably uh, working well, or some stupid bullshit. Well, you're missing out. I don't yeah. know. I probably won't be either, but... Uh, but, I mean, the fact that they are so close to a PC at this point, uh, I would argue that I don't think that the current generation of consoles are even relevant. I, I And I think that's a big part of why no one, like we said earlier, was all that excited about it. Because it's like, okay, great, so I can buy a underpowered personal computer that I can set in my living room and play games great. But, I mean, if you spent the money, and granted, it's more, 
it is. It's it's probably always going to be mm-hmm. really. But if you'd spend a little more, a little bit more money, and but got, you save money in software, right? In the long term, yes, you will yeah. save money in the long term because it'll last you longer too. Um, but if you'd spent a little more money on a gaming PC, you will get much better performance out of that. And considering the vast majority of games are cross-platform anyway, uh, you're not missing out on anything. You can plug a controller into your PC and play anything, mostly like you would on a console. You can hook up your PC to a TV. Yeah, especially, again, with Steam. Big picture. Big picture mode. You can totally do that, and it, for all intents and purposes, it's like you have a console set up. I mean, you really think about it, isn't that the reason I think you think that maybe Nintendo goes for the gimmicks? Because they realize without the gimmicks, there's no difference between what they are and your PC. It's possible. Point. I mean, it is possible. I still... I, I can't say that I agree with that, necessarily. I can see maybe where they're coming from. Like, if you're but... a PC gamer, would you ever buy a touchscreen attachment to your PC? <clears throat> what? To no. play a few and get... Would you ever buy motion control attachment for your PC? No. Absolutely no, not. you wouldn't. And that's... I think that's why Nintendo's doing what they're doing. This is coming full circle to start Nintendo. Yeah. I know we're kind of getting off the topic of digital versus physical, but... Yeah. I mean... When you look at it, that's what kind of sets the Wii U apart from the, the PS4 and the Xbox One, is that they are heavily... I mean, the, the Wii U still has its heavily digital shop. The Nintendo eShop sells everything on it now. Yeah. Wii games, no GameCube games yet. Bastards. Which, by the way, Nintendo, if you happen to be listening, with this NX console, I swear to God... If I have to rebuy any of the shit that I bought on the eShop, and I'm talking about like your $5 NES games, we're going to have a chat. Well, uh, you better call out Sony too for their PSN shit, because all the games you bought on the PS3 you can't use on the PS4, and all the games you bought on the 360 you can't buy on the Xbox One. (sighs) It's bullshit, guys. Come on. And that's all digital, but that's something you don't see on PCs. That's why the digital versus physical thing, that, that's, that's why this is a valid argument. If mm. I buy something on the 360, when I go to the Xbox One, I should be able to buy, I should be able to play everything I bought on the 360 on Xbox One. If that's yes. the next evolution of the console. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I bought it digitally. And with physical content, no, I can't play my physical content on my Xbox One, granted, but I can still play it on my 360 at, at all times, and there's never going to be a DRM server somewhere that tells me that I can't play that digital game on my 360 because the servers that verify that my content is valid has gone down. I think the unfortunate reality of this whole thing is that us old men cannot stop the march of time. We cannot. And that everything is inevitably going to go digital. Um, I would not be surprised if we see the complete discontinuation of physical media as we know it. I would argue that I don't think we're going to see anything past Blu-ray for movies. Uh, and I, after this generation of consoles, I don't see discs being used for that either. So, uh, it's certainly... Unless you're Nintendo. I see Nintendo doing it for another generation. Yeah, well, they're always a little bit behind, but... Um, ahead. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, asking the hard questions. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly an interesting argument, and I 
I'm a little disappointed that I think we're going to have a real issue as far as the preservation of a lot of games uh, from this era. I think we're going to have a problem with the preservation of a lot of media from this era. Yeah. Oh Well, yeah, uh, sure. And, I mean, that's what I was saying as far as, like, CDs and photography and and anything like that goes, that uh, I think a lot of it's going to get lost. And that's unfortunate because the things that we can go back and look at now, old photos that people have in a trunk somewhere or, you know, displays in a museum, things like that, we're not going to have that, I don't think, for a lot of this. And I think there's going to be this weird just black hole where a lot of media and entertainment and things that came out during this time, I don't think future generations will have a way of uh, appreciating it. They'll have a way to appreciate the good ones, the, the, the classics, the masterpieces. But I think, unfortunately, they won't have a way to appreciate the bad ones. And I think in order to appreciate the good ones, you have to understand what the bad ones were and why they were bad. Like, why is art bad art? This is bad art. This mm-hmm. was successful art. This is bad art. I think they have to understand that. It, it's it's almost becoming like food, where you appreciate it and you consume it, and now it's gone. Now, as soon as you consume these games, they won't be gone, but it has that limited time that you can enjoy it. So I think what you're saying then is that if if we accept the inevitability of the fact that these things will one day disappear, that we should perhaps enjoy them for what they are now before they're gone. Yes. Yes. Enjoy what you can while you can. If you think you see something that you may enjoy and you never purchase it or you purchase it and you never play it, then that's in a digital era. That's really on you. You have to accept the fact that servers may go down. You have to accept the fact that the game may get completely deleted off the face of the earth. Yeah, I mean, as much as I enjoy Steam and everything, I also, in the back of my head, am always sort of cognizant of the fact that as popular and successful as Steam is, there is a very real possibility that one day it may go away. Steam does have something in that contract, though, whereas if it goes away, you can download everything onto your hard drive that you have bought from it. And it's, yeah, it's that's, now yours that's you have to buy it through. The disadvantage of that, of course, is what happens when your hard drive goes down. Or what happens when you transfer it over to a new operating system that doesn't accept that game. Yeah, many, many questions. Well, I think at this point, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Retro Hangover. So we appreciate you sticking with us uh, for this time. And uh, if you lovely listeners have any questions, comments, or concerns for Chris and I, um, feel free to reach out. Uh, You can get to us via email at uh, podcast at retrohangover.com. And if we start getting enough regular correspondence to said email address, then you might just be lucky enough to uh, have us read your opinions live on the internets. Or your questions. I love questions. I love good questions. Thank you all for listening, and we hope to see you again.